Welcome to season five of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. The theme for this season is agriculture. In this third episode of season five, we feature an interview with Jeff Monsma from Fond du Lac. Jeff is a milk procurement manager for the Wisconsin region at Agriburg. In today's episode, Jeff and I discuss everything from his family's ties to agriculture, the impact of co-ops in the dairy industry, labeling, and what the government can better do to address the challenges that our farmers are facing and more. I hope you enjoy. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Well, welcome everybody to the Right Idea Podcast. We are here in the township of Fond du Lac and with Jeff Monsma. Jeff, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, glad glad you guys can make it in. Celebrate yep. June Dairy Month. Yes, exactly. And talking all about agriculture and egg economics. And today we have, obviously, as you mentioned, Dairy Month, the Dairy Focus. Tell me a bit about your job as milk, excuse me, procurement manager with Agriburn, what you do and how you do it. Sure. Um, the, uh, the job is uh, always, uh, always changing day to day. It's never a dull moment. Dad always said that. It's never a dull moment on the farm. So right. why would it be any different in the, in the job here? So, um, but I oversee three plants uh, here in uh, Northeast Wisconsin um, that bring in about 8 million pounds of milk a day okay. um, from about 240 farms. So um, a lot of milk trucks, a lot of logistics to match up with uh, production schedules and those type of things. And as things go, you know, you got to prevent and maintenance. So plants go down sometimes. You have to work in balancing that out. So right. um, that's a good chunk of my day to day. But uh, in the end, we really work on uh, it, working with dairy farmers and improving milk quality, okay. um, both on the bacteriological side, somatic cell. Um, and so I have a team of field reps that go out on the dairy farms face to face and just uh, they're really good at what they do and, and uh, help them try to um, nudge the, the producers who for the most part have, we've got some really good quality okay. uh, in our, in our um, producer base but things do come up so they're there to help troubleshoot when that comes in. Um, Agriport itself, tell me what the entity is. What it's yeah, so in the United States here, uh, we've got AgriPure Inc., um, which is, uh, uh, I believe, I'm going to think through it now, uh, seven or eight factories here in the U.S., okay. all the way from Idaho um, to Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, we have kind of a Wisconsin region, a central, but we're a cheese and whey manufacturing. So really specializing in award-winning cheeses and some real high-end protein um, uh, mixes. And then we've got uh, 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 one plant that will do some... Uh, blending uh, okay. for other people. So if you those that go to the GNCs or get the Muscle Builders, you know we can make um, we can make just about any customer tailor made type of blend that they can uh, need for gotcha. their market and their consumers. So gotcha. Yeah. And talk. And I want to talk more about just the the economics of the business, some of the challenges it's facing. Before we do that, you mentioned your family history and connection to farming. Talk to me about that. What led you to stick with this industry? Sure. Yeah. Um, in, in chatting earlier, actually, I was at, at one point I was almost looking to go into the military. Okay. Uh, my dad said, uh, who he actually came after World War II, uh, both him and my mother, and and he says, no, you're going to find something that you're going to use your head, not your back, and, and not <laughs> deal with uh, military challenges of all his stories from the World War II. But anyway, um, so I went to school at UW River Falls for animal science. Okay. Um, came back as a nutritionist. Um, for a while and then got uh, closer to home at Elto Dairy and became a field rep um, and again working uh, with milk quality and learning how to the clean in place uh, systems and just helping producers imp improve. Gotcha. Um, from there I just stayed in the in the milk business with the exception of uh, 
brief uh, hiatus. I was a consultant um, for a while working with large farms in the production and economic um, uh, side of things, okay. uh, some family transitions, those type of things, but then came back to what I knew, which is in the milk side and right. working with the salt of the earth people that, that pr produce for us. So Gotcha. And, um, well, and did you initially have a family connection to farming going back further or? Yes, indeed. Um, okay. And I guess I did kind of skip that. Uh, <laughs> I grew up on a small dairy farm. You just, did, okay. Just northeast of uh, Waupon. We were about, uh, uh, I think we had about 40 cows at that point, a 19 stall barn. And um, I always told my dad we were ahead of the curve because yep. we, we were flipping that uh, that barn three times, uh, changing <laughs> milk and cows, a lot of cows with free stalls and so okay. on. But uh um, yeah, so that kind of got me really, I mean, I probably started milking cows when I was nine. Okay. So if you consider taking those years out, I've probably been in the milk industry 30 with those teenage child labor things. Yeah. And, <laughs> those details. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably like 40 years. Okay. So that, and that, I think that's a good lead into some of the questions I want to ask. So you think about you as a kid and a, uh, a 40 head uh, herd, basically, you can make that a go of that at the point and obviously the industry is changing talk to me about some of those changes that are happening with consolidation in dairy and what you see and, and how you see that playing to the future of it of the industry going sure through. sure yeah um you know I, I think back to my my dad's uh i mean in the 70s and 80s when i was just a little guy and and some of the uh the milk supply pros uh milk supply port price programs that were out there and the, the sudden changes that that did in, in the uh, upside down market in the 80s with the land values and really hard on a lot of dairies uh, and farmers in general at that time. Right. Um, but uh, those that survived or those are the ones with good managers, uh, you know, they got the milk per cow, they were able to, um, you know, get the yield out that they needed. And right. um, I think there's still a number. And, and if you look at the diversity of the farms within Wisconsin, we're at still around six, six to 7,000 farms. Mm -hmm. Uh, down, you know, probably a quarter of what we were when I started. Sure. Um, but those smaller ones that are there, they've got, a, they've had a, a you know, good, um, a good management uh, style. They've, mm -hmm. they've focused on quality, um, and you know, their debt load was probably lower than than most because they had survived and come through that. Right. So um, those are fading. Uh, yeah. There's probably forever going to be some of that, whether it's a t because of the topographical. Um, and the diversity in soils and, and topography in Wisconsin makes it conducive in some areas to grow and become a large dairy. And some, you just can't. You, you just know, can't. The right. driftless region is really hard to put some large dairies in, although they do exist over there as well. Right. Um, but yeah, when it comes to it, uh, there's not many mom and pop um, drugstores anymore, five yeah. and dimes. Right. So they wanted lifestyle. They wanted to uh, be able to take some time off, do some things with their kids. Size and scale is kind of how it ended up being, and right. um, that's where we're seeing that. And and they get a ton of efficiencies with that, yeah. uh, whether it's labor just on the milking side, and then they can um, hire that out and focus their management skills on improving other things within the dairy. Right. Um, it just it's a model that that seems to be to be working. And I want to talk um, as we've had conversations in, in different parts of agriculture and on different farms. We've been talking a lot about technology and the role it's played, and my understanding of it is that you're not able to reach scale like you're seeing now today without the advent of different forms of technology. Talk a bit about that and some of the key components of technology you see in dairy allowing, or in many ways making scale just a more effective way of running and, and how it's gonna affect the future of the industry. Sure, yeah, and the farm side especially, if you look at those that wanna stay in that medium to small size frame, the, the robotic 
Uh, it, it again allows them a little bit of that break, right? Um, because of the labor challenges that have been going on for quite some Which time. Which I want to talk more about too. Yeah. Yes. So, right. Um, right. so it's a good fit for those. But uh, again, if you look over to Europe and Canada, the, there's been a lot more robotic milking. So we've had a model to look and and learn from, and it's mm -hmm. starting to you know pick up right. uh, here. In fact, uh, we've got a conference coming up this uh, fall, and one of the panels that I'm working to try to bring together is. Uh, panel of, the, of uh, robotic milking uh, dairy operations to talk okay. about the struggles and the, and, and the wins um, with it. Right. Um, but then as you go to the size and scale, yeah, the parlors are quite large. Some of these are, they just can't get that line worker, if you would, yeah. uh, which the struggle is with everybody right now yeah. in, in whatever business we're talking about. Um, but if they can kick back, there's probably less have to go in there and do a line work anyway, because that's what cows will do sometimes. But right. So yeah, you get uh, robotic uh, um, unit applications and different things that will help um, that uh, replace that that body that's in there, which is a okay thing. But in the same token, the human factor definitely still needs to be there. Right. Well, that's it. I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that everyone needs to take a pause and realize that, as we've seen, the the cost of labor no doubt artificially increased by the federal government, by the Biden administration. These are my words, not yours. But the concern is that by doing this artificially, not because the market's driving it, uh, you're encouraging people to make decisions on automation they may not make organically. And again, once those decisions are made, once you put out that capital expenditure, you've invested it in some type of automation technology, you're not going to go back from that. You've now made a decision. And we should all be thinking long and hard before we automate jobs out of existence at an unnatural pace, which is what I worry about in terms of just lack of labor ability. So. Yeah, given, uh, given what I've seen then on the farm side and then also on the production side over the last 10 years, uh, seeing the number of different um, uh, additions that AgriPure has put on and, and, and um, automation has become a strong part of that. You know, it's right. kind of in the, in the boxing and the manufacturing and the palletizing, that kind of thing. Right. That's pretty standard stuff out there. But right. the, the one thing then, though, is you do need the techs to be able to work on that. Yeah. And there's still a gap there. I mean, Even there. Yeah. Right, right. I think of Mike Rowe and his dirty jobs yeah. push to try to get more, um, more and more uh, tech school kids to, or people to look at that as a two-year degree and right. and because that need is going to even, that's a vacuum right now. We yeah. need more of those to fill in those tech jobs for, uh, for the automation that's out there already. So that's interesting because that's, now you're talking, you're going back before COVID period and federal unemployment uh, benefits, everything else. Now you're talking about like gravitation to practical de degrees that can lead to good careers that people weren't opting into regardless of COVID. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, okay. correct. I think a lot of people have always gone, and I said back to my dad's mm -hmm. comment about, yeah, you can go to college, go to college, get a degree. And and there's just been a gap, I think, in that in the trades and the manufacturing side mm -hmm. of things to as viable options and, and uh, um yeah, I, I sit on the Fox Valley Tech advise, Ag Advisory mm -hmm. um, Board, and um, the, what these kids are learning on uh, precision planting and, and harvesting and the robotics, and, and uh, my brother runs 3,000 acres and, and the precision planting that he has, I'm like, I don't know if I want to touch it. Yeah, right, exactly right. <laughs> um, but it maximizes your output and your efficiency and, and lessens, again, the amount of time that humans have to put into it, so it's highly practical. But you make a really good point. I mean, it's and you brought up Mike Rowe, and I think he does actually public service through his entertainment, right? Like right. saying, like, hey, there's a whole other world of career options out here that are actually financially great and also, too, very practical. And right. you can enjoy the fact you have a real output. 
And I think that's such an important part of the way that we need to shift the way we look at education, right? Like that, that four-year baccalaureate is pushed. In fact, it's taking probably five to six years on average for Correct. kids to get through yeah. it. It's costing many tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt after the fact. And then the ROI on it is getting increasingly unclear. And so you take a step back from all that and say, look, there are real material needs in our, in our economy. And we should think about education more as like a lifelong process, which would say you can go and get that tech degree, go start making money and figure out, do you want to pursue education further? If so, great. You can do it from a better financial position. You can be more targeted in what you pursue because I don't know about you, but when I was 18, I didn't know everything I wanted to do. Maybe, you know, yeah. you don't have to do it all in one shot, which can be a lot more efficient for everybody. Yeah. Well, and, and you talk about the labor challenge. Uh, so one of the benefits that a lot of companies are giving is our ag, or not ag education, but edu- uh, continuing education okay. um, type. Uh, uh, we'll pay for your school, but you got to right. keep working for us, right? Because right. they feel we're going to be a, um, an employer that you're going to want to, and we're investing in you in essence. And right. although we're not forcing you to stay, you might be able to move up the line in management and, and do different things. And yeah. they know the culture of the business. So um, right. that's a, uh, so I think that's a, a big one out there as well to, uh, to supplement what you just said yeah. about um, starting at the uh, the other pace. I think it's so important. And it's great to hear that because and that's and why we do these conversations is to open up people's minds to like this idea. Of it You find there's all these cross-cutting themes. We do a No Better Friend, a lot of stuff in education reform, K through 12, I think we'll focus more on higher education going forward. And I just, higher education in America is so remarkably inefficient. Um, the left's answer is to socialize it. They're wrong. <laughs> um, in fact, that's just going to create more inefficiencies. And, and, you know, it's not up to person X to pay for a person Y's college degree. But there are far more practical ways to do this. And the idea of companies that are investing in their employees, employees are making full-time salaries instead of just drowning in debt. Um, that's good stuff for everybody. You, know? and you just wish that policymakers would think more critically about it. It's not about subsidizing loans. It's about how to get people into productive jobs sooner. And then, you know, that's not an argument against like critical thinking and interesting learning either. You can do all these things, but maybe it's as part of a, a part-time program while you're continuing to work. And that's a great way to build your life out um, while also contributing to a, a good industry. Right. So. Well, they're definitely working in the ag industry. I mean, as far as uh, that's good to hear. you think about uh, um, the FFA programs and the tech schools and how they're they're bringing those up and in. And of right. course, there's still a gap in there. Right, still a gap. Which is why we're sharing. It. I mean, it's and, and that is pretty crazy because you sit and you look and see so many people. Again, I think you go back to April and it was 44 percent of posted jobs like nationally were unfilled. Uh, that's a massive problem, and obviously we need to do what we can to get people back in the labor force as quickly as possible. In, in any way we can. Right. Let's talk trade. Anytime we're, we're touching agriculture, I, I know I had a chance to speak uh, at, your, at your home um, at the farm, actually, and we had a, a good event a, way, a while back. And one of the things I mentioned was, uh, and you and I talked about it afterwards, farmers don't want to be victims. They want to be able to sell their product, and that means they want to have access to markets which is why I think trade becomes such a, I mean, for obvious reasons, becomes so important for farmers to talk about. If you could, talk about your view of just trade economics that the industry faces, what could be better, and, and how you think about it. Sure. And we think about, uh, it, it, love that statement, it gets thrown around way too much. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, uh, it is helpful. Um, sometimes yeah. you're standing as a roadblock. And uh I think if you can sit, stand, you know, if you can partner with, especially in the ag industry, they find a way to get it done. 
I mean, as far as learning and adapting and, and boosting yields and reducing greenhouse gases. And, but in the end, you got to have a consumer that's going to buy it. And right. in the global world we're in, um, it's a lot different. Uh, again, a lot different than when my father and mother came over and said, this is the land of opportunity and, you know, we're going to learn the language and we're going to focus on America. Well, it, obviously, technology, connectivity throughout the world brings in um, a lot of uh, global markets. Right. So, uh, so right. Um, the old black swans of markets can it mm -hmm. can happen just about anywhere. Right. The other day, uh, someone was speaking at the Professional Dairy Producers Conference, and he was sharing how uh, the, the the policy program in China um, of reducing because they had a the, uh, real strong challenge with the swine flu. They were feeding a lot of food waste. Okay. You got a billion people, you have food waste, try to utilize it, right? Where they're finding that that was a challenge of, 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 of not controlling the swine flu that they had. So they eliminated that. Okay. Well, and don't quote me on the numbers exactly, but 13 million billion um, metric tons of, of protein okay. needs to come across to feed these hogs, right. you know, that, that were getting fed uh, another byproduct. So, um, that's a, a boon for the cash grain guys, right. um, which are able to uh, bring over soybean and, and but you got to have that agreement, right? And then right. it's back to uh, the previous administration really working hard and, and bird dogging China to try to make sure we got uh, in there. But that, that there's always two sides of that coin. Right. Um, dairy seem to be all right, and because they're always looking for uh, American product, but the, the grain side of it was tough. So, yeah. so bilateral, multilateral agreements are very, very important. One out of seven days of production in um, dairy production in the U.S. is, is exported. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in Wisconsin, ninety percent, ninety-five percent of our cheese leaves the state. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we we're we're living an export right. world just in Wisconsin. So. Right. Uh, to have access to more of those markets is, is huge. Um, you know, back to the uh, uh, um, production side of things for the dairy side, you know, that, that cost increase from because of the change in policy in China yep. just brought up the, I mean, the, the, probably the closest thing we had in the past to a, a large bump for corn prices based on policy was ethanol. Okay. Well, we got 10% ethanol brought into the, forced into the, into the system. And there, I was always throwing around 15 or 20% as you talk to greenhouse gas or uh, going green, um, that wouldn't even drive more. But then again, that's going to bring costs up. Right. Costs up are going to pass along right. at some point have to, to the consumer right. at some point. But, um, but make, making sure that we have those agreements and it's not just China, there's just a big one that's out there. There's a lot of, uh, um, if, if you would, second world emerging co uh, countries that are, are out there as well that we need to continue to work with. Right. And um, uh, whether it's the dairy dollar, checkoff dollars helping through USDA on the Export Council or just uh, straight up uh, liaisons working mm -hmm. through the federal government, we need to have those agreements in place and continue with that. And we talk a lot on the Right Idea podcast, and I've talked about a lot of this before in my Senate campaign and such. Like, the idea is pushing a strategic trade. It's not about, um, you know, harming your trade partners. It's not the goal. It's not a good way to build a long-term relationship. But I think where many people in Wisconsin and across the country feel like they've been shortchanged in in many previous decades, is there hasn't been a good strategic outlet. We have certainly opened our markets to different products that have been sold here. Uh, but in the meantime, have we seen the same fight put forward to make sure that other markets are protected from our competition and that is problematic and it's something that again our, our argument is not 
that it, it be a one-sided relationship because there's problems to doing that. The goal is be strategic and be smart. Yeah, collaboration. Collaboration. Right? Yeah. Right. And that's where I was saying before, the government can be there to help with certain things mm -hmm. side by side. Let's be partners in this, um, whether it's through through that or um, even environmental regulations, those type of things, working, at, working together with those things right. instead of opposed to them versus us. Right, exactly. Now, we've talked a bit about uh, well, we talked uh, obviously about labor dynamics, partially affected by COVID, partially just again encouraging people to take sensible career paths. When you think about the effect of COVID nineteen over the last call it year and a half or so, what are some things that pop up? I mean, one of the things I remember I know is early on, as schools shut down, restaurants shut down, milk was getting dumped. Public didn't understand why that milk couldn't be processed and, and what the what was occurring. But maybe talk about like starting there and kind of the flow you saw through. Um, or the effect of COVID-19, what has it been in the industry from your perspective? Sure. Um, back to the statement, never a dull moment. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, worse, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you think about Wisconsin um, dairy for the vast majority of it is food service driven. So right. um, with the stay-at-home orders, um, the shutdowns, um, even, even to the point of... Uh, of when they started to open up, um, even prior to that, it was just, it was a complete flip-flop. Now retail jumped through the roof. I mean, sure. you, you've seen a lot of things go off the, the shelf. Yep. You know, milk was one of them at yep. one point, uh, but the, we've learned a lot that our food system in America is very fragile, whether yep. it was the, the, the um, uh, packaging kill plants out in uh, the Central Plains or the, the milk side of things. Uh, yep. You know, when it comes to milk, uh, fluid milk, it, it's not a super strong economic driver for uh, um, for dairy processors. So there's not been a lot of enhancements in it other than the HTST, which is a high uh, high temp, uh, shelf stable kind of uh, okay. product that you get it. But the vast majority is you grab that jug, right? And you yeah. go, and it's kind of older equipment and they just couldn't handle the demand that it was. And the schools go out, yeah. those were cartons, you know, so you're not putting it in cartons anymore. And then right. so it just starts backing up into the system and it got to a, a very, very challenging where um, uh, people had a, a dump. We were very fortunate with AgriPure not to have any of our farmers dump through that time, okay. through managing through it and changing some product runs, and but uh, others just didn't have that opportunity. Right. But as things then reemerged in food service, people were still concerned about going out. So the, mm -hmm. it's not like when the doors opened, everybody went back to you know eating out six nights a week or right. whatever it would have they're been. Still not. Yeah, yeah, and they're still not. And right. so we're still seeing challenges within the food service um, market um, with that because of that. It's um, I got studied by jerks because uh, you go and all of a sudden you, you you get another surge that opens up, so the food pipeline's got to fill. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, okay, we're full. We're still not at capacity, and so it, it levels again. So since the turn of the year, it has just been completely up and down on, on the milk side and cheese side of things specifically okay. that, I, that relates back to my milk challenges of being up and down. So, right. um, yeah, we just uh, we, we need to get uh, it, it, the food portion sizes um, on food service versus retail mm -hmm. are huge compared to the other ones. When you make your stuff at home, you put that one slice of cheese on or whatever, but if you've got a salad bar and you've got free reign, you're just yeah, putting you're, whatever yeah. you want on there, get the, that floating forage mat with a little cheese on yeah, it. Yeah, right. 
But it's, oh. so it changes the usage of the product. Correct. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So we're even even with that, it just didn't compensate. But um, right. so the the buying patterns are off. Uh, there's no plan that I think any in, any uh, dairy processors can look at in, in past buying patterns that can right. predict properly what's going to happen. So it's right. you kind of take it one day at a time now. Right. But the milk is always coming at you. Well, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, your production. And you, you can't just halt production. Your cows go dry and you've got a whole other set of problems. Right? right. Yeah, even if you can dry some off or, or cull some down. But right. yeah, the, it's coming at you. Right. Well, I think that's an important lesson. It's one of the reasons we talk about this. is not just to blindly criticize, but to call it to policymakers. Like, there are massive ramifications to suddenly halting things on this scale. And... Just like we always have throughout history, you have to make risk-adjusted decisions. You have to allow people to make risk-adjusted decisions. None of this is denying the impact of COVID or that it was a real public health threat or an individual public Correct. health threat. It's yep. both. But um, that has to be balanced against this massive impact on supply chains, on economics, on people's uh, economic health and their mental health and physical health and well-being. These are all part of a complex puzzle. And when you simply stomp on something, things pop everywhere or they deflate or whatever. And it, that I think is so much of our conversations that we've gone from, and we did a previous season, which was focused on just businesses of all kinds. So you see a distillery, right? Which suddenly has their, their retail side drop off completely, but they're, well, I take it back Their their food service supply, right? To restaurants and bars drop off. Right. And yes, they're to your point, the, um, the, the sales to, um, to shopping centers or to, the retail side uh, of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, those explode, but it, it's not one for one, right? Right, and All of a sudden, correct. people are trying to match things up and, and to plan, and it's just near impossible. And so. now new habits are formed, right? right. I mean, it, well, they had 30 days of conscious effort. Well, we had 300 or whatever it was that, you know, and, and for some. Correct. Others uh, maybe stepped out sooner. But, uh, right. Um, yeah, so the buying patterns have changed. Right. And so, again, there's back to it. We just don't know what it's going to look like right. uh, moving forward. And, and the consumer confidence uh, is there when they're out, but those that are out are not at the same level yet. Correct. So it's going to take a while. It's going to take years, in my opinion, to get back to even close to where we were with uh, um, someone joked. I'm like, we got all this money. It's going to be like the roaring 20s. I said, yeah, but what happened after that? Be yeah, very just, careful. I was going to say, be very careful how you describe that. Yeah. Well, and we, we had talked briefly before the show started about the inflationary effect of various policies. We talked about labor going up, energy is going up. Again, my opinion that this is a conscious choice on the part of the Biden administration to constrict supply of fossil fuel-driven energy. And then you've, you've got so that going up, labor going up, two of the massive inputs into everything, all products and services. And, of course, that means you know the, the, end, the end product is going to cost more, too. As you think about inflation and how it will affect dairy— what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, the two largest factors on a dairy farm uh, in their cost structure is going to be feed okay. and labor. Yep. Um, I think back to, uh, so I just talked with uh, one of the gentlemen that I used to work with on when I was consulting. Okay. And he said from the beginning of the year to now, uh, he started spewing uh, feed over uh, income over feed costs. I said, "Give me it in layman's terms." And he calculated it out: thirty-two percent increases on feed budget okay. from the first of the year to what we are sitting now in June. And at that time, we were still in this what looked to be a drought right. here. And now, thank uh, thank God for the uh, blessings of rain. We do have rain. Yeah, yeah. so that uh, the crops look much better now. But uh, right. so there was really a concern there. Okay. Um, I mean, were we going to even have a stick to feed these cows <laughs> yeah, coming right. in, in the fall? But right. so that's. 
that hopefully will temper that a little bit, but it's still there. And then um, labor, uh, not quite double. And, I, and I, uh, I'll say that when you talk all inclusive, you know, with the benefits package and all the different things that you got to do to retain right. employees. I'm hearing, and I don't think it's necessarily just uh, ag- agriculture, but um, it was, someone was talking about a 2.7% uh, mill rate now um, for people that are leaving jobs mm-hmm. to get better jobs. Whereas before people would just stay because, hey, I want to stay with this company. I got a right. good company. This is the highest it's ever been okay. uh, at, at, that, at that rate. And uh, it, I guess, I mean, if the jobs are out there and, and you're at a point where you're, you're comfortable enough to take that change, mm-hmm. um, do it. But yeah, so those two main costs are going to be hard on, um, on the producers. Now on the processing side, anything related to um, the petroleum side of things, the chemicals, the boxes, even when you can get boxes kind of things. There's challenges everywhere with that. And um, uh, I can't say I've talked to or purchasing people uh, directly on it, but I've heard other uh, manufacturers that have been in the purchasing side, and they're looking at uh, rates increases like every two weeks to a month. Okay. Um, so that's that, that it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. It's got to it go somewhere. And I, I will admit, I don't know the answer to this. When you think about the, you know, just the elasticity of demand for milk in the market, what is that sense? Like how elastic or inelastic is that demand based on price? Is it that people are going to buy it pretty much up to this point and after that point we see a drop off or yeah, I, not necessarily? It's been a long time since I talked that okay, as that's well. Fair. That's, that's fair. fair. But I will say, you know, for the most part, uh, a gallon of milk is a lead loss uh, for, for a store. You get them to the back of the store, they're going to pie everything, and they're going to get that jug. I hate to admit it, I've never forgot about that. Yeah. Too, or I've never thought about that to right now, but yes, yeah. So yeah. it gets everybody back there. And right, just kind of having the toys on the same everything. aisle <laughs> as the uh, the cereal. So, you know. I've been manipulated all these years, and I just put that it. together. Didn't even know it. Um, I, I think there's some, there's some uh, you know, price point on cheese, uh, had been in the past, you know, um, but it, it, that might be out the window now because yeah. uh, people are saying, hey, we're going to be home and we're going to get some of that cheese. But I yeah. think there's also a portion of the of the cheese or the foodie industry that's still out there, uh, but it's, it's kind of quiet or calm right now. But right. It, it, when the economy's roaring, you know, that organic, that uh, GMO-free, the other ones that, you know, uh, to me it's all the same, but right. uh, they put the labels on it and, and uh, maybe, you know, do something slightly different to make it seem different. Sure. Um, but uh, that aspect is probably depressed because of the current economic environment. So Right. Again, it's just one of these complex array of things that people should be thinking about as they affect these markets and all these little uh, tweaks that are occurring right now in order to satisfy political demands are having massive effects all the way across the board and and you don't see the critical thought going into it, which is, again, why we're talking about this. If you think think of a pond theory, right, you throw a stone into a pond Mm -hmm. and a ripple effect, COVID and and now the the current um, policy making is more like a you know, a bowling ball or a rock going or a in the middle. giant steel beam, yeah. whatever you want to think of, but it's large. Right, yes, yeah, it's going to make an impact, yeah. 100% right. Um, I know that you're also involved as a, as a director of member services at the Alto Dairy Co-op as well, too? At one time I was. You were, yeah. okay. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, uh, in 2008 when Saputo came in and purchased us at that point, and that's when I went off to do the consulting for a little while, so. Got it. Talk about the, the just the um, the impact of co-ops in the dairy industry and, and just what their place is. Sure, sure. I, I think way back when it was a lot of more about uh, 
um, creating equity, equity, let me try that again. Equability, that's not even the right word. Equality, is that Equality. The right? yeah. <laughs> probably not equality. But uh, anyway, um, you know, just to try and be fair for the farmer, sure. you know, way, way back when, when there was just no sharing of information and it was, it was on every corner, there was a little cheese store or a little cheese factory. Um, so it's come a long way and, and I think a, a number of co-ops. So we're owned by a co-op, um, but we are a private entity in, in the U.S. Okay. So there's a lot of producers that really just don't want to mess with co-ops and there's some that want to go and be part of co-ops because they're, they're owner of it as well. So there's definitely value on both sides. Um, I think uh, in, in my analysis over the years, the speed of business is a little faster on an independent versus a co-op. Okay. Um, just because of the timing to go through a board of directors and the, um, um, uh, the educating that you have to do. Because a lot of farmers, um, I, I think back to those Elto days, a lot of farmers looked at, uh, they were 30, 40 cow dairy, and they're making decisions that were, you know, million dollar decisions, and that was their annual income. Right. And uh, they're just doing that as a capital expense. So uh, to, for them to fathom that, it was a challenge to a degree. But uh, right. the business minded, again, smaller, uh, smaller number of dairies, those are involved typically uh, in co-op boards should have a little more business sense over the years because they're making more purchases because their size and scale is, yep. is, is bigger. So... Um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely still value in that, uh, especially on the feed side and, and uh, a number of organizations, the petroleum side of things that can help with purchasing. Um, purchasing power. Yep. 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 So there's value that way. Gotcha. But we, uh, we buy milk from a number of co-ops as well. Our model is to get about 80% of our milk from producers directly, okay. and the balance comes from uh, outside co-ops. Okay. Got it. You'd mentioned previously labels, and I know this is a hot topic in many different parts of just agriculture writ large, not just dairy. And we've had conversations about it, and I would just like to hear your thoughts on the labels, GMOs, and non-GMOs, and all that stuff. Talk to me a bit about your your thoughts on that entire topic. Yeah, this is probably me more than the, the company line on it. I just get struggled with uh, um, the uh, consumer overreach that comes in um, on how you have to farm or how what kind of products you can use, yet they still want us to do uh, reduce greenhouse gases. I think of RBST free milk, uh, the, 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 the product that we had, and it bolstered uh, uh, milk production in cows. Uh, there's no difference uh, in, in the milk. It was studied and shown. But... Um, you know, we because of, of of consumer demands, we just couldn't do it. At labeling, you know, right. people started saying, "Hey, it's RBSD free, so it's better." People forgot about how much of a greenhouse gas imp- uh, a reduction that did. Right. You know, so so which way do you want it? Yeah. You know, is kind of how it comes down to. So, um, you know, again, a, sec- a smaller segment um, it tends to wag the dog, which can be frustrating sometimes. So, right. um, and then on the other side of the labels as well is always the, uh, um, the, the product identity. We talk about almond milk, coconut milk, uh, those type of things and right. versus milk. Is it really not milk? No, it's some people call it nut juice, right? Right. right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a market out there that's buying it. So, you know, there's some of those dynamics uh, within the industry that that are people are uh, challenged with because they feel they're losing market share or they're, they're, they're winning off of their milk labeling. So, right. um, but, uh, you know, I think that's where FDA, USDA, can you know step up and, and work um, you know with the organizations that are really uh, trying to keep that um, the, the simplicity of labeling or simplicity of name naming uh, in place. 
That's what I was going to ask. So in terms of, um, we were actually recently, in, for a recent episode out, uh, talking to Kevin Hoyer, who I know you know, talking about crop farming, talking about these labeling issues uh, as well, too, with crop farming. And he actually made many of the same arguments that you're making, which is there's trade-offs at play here. You want us to do better at um, water conservation. You want us to use less chemicals. You want us to be just more efficient in the way that we go about doing things. Well, you know, genetically modified uh, can help us do that. And we should be open to thinking about, thinking critically about the science behind all this and not just simply slapping labels and feeling like we're, we're you know, sending virtue. Um, and I'm hearing a lot of the same thing here too. As you think about the role the government does have to play in this, it sounds like simplicity is, is your argument. Like the FDA should be thinking, how do I work with farmers to, to make this more clear and simple? Is yeah, fair I, I would agree. Yeah, um, it, and I think I said earlier, get out of the way, get next to us. You know, let's let's work through it. Right. Um, and simple is obviously better. Right. I mean, you're talking two, less than two percent of the U.S. population is is producing all the food for right. the entire um, country, and one out of seven days of dairy going to other yeah. countries. So, um, you know, there is uh, there is a small, we're, we're quite, even if we all talked, we're still only 2%. Right. And so there's a lot of people that are really out there um, uh, fighting that. Uh, the anti-animal ag group that's out, there's a number of those out there that they claim to not be that, but that's really, if you if you go into their website and, and dig in, you know, you'll find it. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so simple, simple assistance or sim- simplicity in, in labeling and allowing us to uh, move forward um, would be a, a good thing for me right. from a government perspective. Well, you hear a lot of talk about people wanting to be closer to food and understanding like where it comes from and all the rest of it. And I think that here again, this is why we have these conversations um, and we want to share with our listeners like, yeah, the, what that means is understanding the economics of it, the science of it, like, you know, what, what is keeping your average consumer from better understanding this marketplace, the way that it works? Well, you know, confusing labeling is part of that. And so our goal is not to besmirch people here, but it's to say like, what can we do to make this more clear to people? And it sounds like the FDA could play a role in that. And then my urge to all of our listeners and to their friends and family and what they share from this is, you know, have an open mind and think critically. Like, don't just simply exactly write, read a Lord knows, don't read Twitter because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's fascinating uh, thoughts about right? dairy production on Twitter. Right. Um, but no, think critically about it. Which, and that's why we come to the source to actually, you know, talk about the industry and what can be done better and what are the challenges. Yeah, I think the average consumer in Wisconsin is seven, if not eight, now generations removed from a farm. Right. So even even for those that have a friend that maybe is connected, you know, that are willing to talk, because most everybody is going to be willing to talk, because uh, the farmers do a great thing. I mean, they yep. they take care of the land, they take care of the water, and they take care of animals so that they can feed people. Right. And uh, it's all a vested interest to do it. So if you start, is there bad actors out there? Absolutely. There's bad doctors out there. Sure. You know, whatever. But the vast vast majority of, of people do things well because they have a passion for taking care of uh, the resources that have been provided to us mm-hmm. and and, to, and feed people so right and this is your home i know that's been brought up by some of our other episodes too that you live in these communities and just like you know other people that live in their communities right they want to see it be a good place to live and a clean place to live and you know a prosperous place to live so it's a vested interest because you are literally working the land and making sure that that land remains productive for the long term. Um, and it's a good thing for people to just think about that critically. Again, 
farmers aren't out to destroy the environment or anything like it. It's a question of how do you balance things and how do you make rational decisions. Yeah. So. And if you think back to, um, I think Fond du Lac County here just went through a farmland uh, preservation plan or, or, or um, actually looking to um, smart growth uh, type of thing, yeah. and Fond du Lac Township is surrounded, it surrounds the city. So right. at some point, it, it's going to be there. But if you think back to when the pioneers came here, mm-hmm. They settled in the richest land that they could with a river and, and yeah. wherever. So the Fox Valley, everywhere that's got these large cities is some of the best land that was out there. And we're right. putting concrete over it. Right. 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 Um, so they're, they aren't making any more land. No, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. So um, to be able to do what we can with the less productive and not saying that the land we have now is... Uh, um, not productive because it is, um, but you start taking those out, and there's less opportunity to yield better. And you got a growing, you got a growing world, uh, yeah. a lot of mouths to feed. So, um, but right. yes, yeah, it, it is. I, I, I like the statement: critical thinking on on all the pieces, um, not just because of how it tastes. Yeah, no, exactly point. right. Or what's packaged cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you saw it on a TV show that you liked. But I, you know that's interesting, right? You talk about land usage. I live. Um, I live in Delafield, and you look at all the, I shouldn't say all, many of the farms around us are being converted. Uh, it's, it's, if they're not in process of development, there's a sold sign on them. In other words, just waiting for the move to happen. And you make a real good point, which is current state, potentially sustainable to do that. Future state, we don't know, right? Because the population is growing. All the things about like uh, peak population and stuff was wrong in the 70s because farmers could actually continue to produce more food with, with right. the advent of technology, greater efficiency. And likely that's true going forward, unless of course we pave over too much land and develop too much of it, in which case American farmers, the most productive on the planet, are less able to actually do what you just said. Yeah, and, and then if, if somewhere else, in the world becomes more competitive. Now, now we've got a, a harder competitive advantage out there too. Right. But it, yeah, you talk about what does that future look like? Um, hydroponics is maybe part of it. Uh, it you just don't know um, right. what, what it all, but it's still a lot of mouths to feed and, right. and you got to do it with the resources you have. Yeah. You'd like to think that people in Washington are thinking about this, but if you turn on your TV, they're not. So that, and I know it's not true of all of them. It's true of a certain percent. All politics are local, though, aren't they? Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah. Yes. You just like it depends on how big the local circle is, right? Local, not local. You just like to think it's smart. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can be disappointed in that in that range. So we talked about some of the regulatory issues uh, that affect the industry so far. What else pops up in terms of? regulatory concerns you have, things you think could be done better in terms of policy, and or things that just concern you in that space. Sure. You know, on the dairy processing side, when you talk about, uh, back again, when the, the dairy uh, cheese plant started, they probably found, put it right on a river, because mm-hmm. the whey went out into the river and dumped it or into a marsh or whatever. Obviously, right. we're, we found value now for the whey, uh, right. the, as we talked earlier. Um, but typically, the water system still has to be somewhat connected to a municipality or a river or something to that effect. So the the, the, um, the level of, of of scrutiny, if you would, on uh, the, the the discharge, if you would, and I say discharge is water you could drink. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you know what's what's the chemical makeup of that and and um, I mean I'm guessing the water we're drinking here um, it's not distilled so there's probably something in there you know yeah. that you know, whatever came out of the tap so right. Um, but uh, to work with 
you know, DNR, EPA, those type of things. Um, again, back to partnering. It's a lot of technology that is coming down or is there now, but it's super expensive. Yeah. I, I know of one producer that uh, on the producer side of things that was looking at um, taking his manure, de- dewatering it, taking that water, processing it through an RO system. You could drink it if you want, but, you know, land apply or do whatever with it. And sure. it's talking about a $10 million dollar um, uh, capital expense wow. for just to, to I do believe that. it though. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it, the cutting edge of this stuff right now is, is, you know, you start taking this technology that's, that's doing this and this one over here, you bring it together and all of a sudden you got maybe two or three other things that are doing it. So it's right. exciting times, but it's going to be costly. Yeah. And so even if there's funding and support for those type of things, um, at the state and, and, uh, the national level, um, for uh, those type of things where you work together and not just have egregious levels say, hey, you have to do this by this date. Let's, yep. let's give us some time to work through it. And, and no, again, we're all trying to take care of the environment because um, we're all, it's in our community, it's, we're drinking water right out of the same wells. And right. um, so um, that's a big one. And I think uh, the last administration really helped uh, push down the waters of the U.S. Uh, is one of the things I remember. And uh, from that was uh, they were defining uh, waters of the U.S. could be it's anything as an intermittent stream. So if you can float a mm-hmm. canoe in it mm-hmm. in the middle of the field because of spring run, you know, or spring rains. Right. And, uh, you know, then from that area, you have a setback that you have to work with. And now it's, it's, it's a federal thing and you had to okay. do. And, and the number of fields and the number of, I mean, you have to start looking at housing. How it would affect housing, right? Because I have a ditch out front that's I could float a canoe in right. a couple, more than one day a year, right? Right. So you're talking about like literally a stream fills up in springtime runoff. You have to have a standoff for field or housing units physically distant from that yeah body yep. of quote unquote water. Yeah, and right. I think they were they were uh, again this is back when uh, some of the organizations I was belonging to uh, were really pushing on it, um, but uh, it was going to be. Let's say right now you go to your your local town board to get a permit to build a house mm-hmm. or to put up a shed or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's actually we're looking at having to go through a national agency to do that because if it if it had that water of the U.S. Okay. on the property, you'd have to go through the federal agency, the state agency, and then back to the town. So we talk about speed of business and the speed of red tape right. that was going to stifle things dramatically. It's terrifying. Yeah, it frankly, is. To hear you say that, that's yeah. insane. And to say nothing of if you, and you made a good point, right? Like we're all thinking about like how to leverage technology, how to do it sensibly, how to be, again, responsible with the long-term asset, which is the land and the environment. But if you say do X by certain date, because politician Y decides it has to be done, you force these expenditures at unnatural times when maybe the industry can't handle it, or maybe individual producers can't handle it. Now they're gone. And so... This is not, we're not talking about like economic creative destruction for the innovation or anything like that. We're talking about government fiat, arbitrary, just like they're arbitrarily driving up costs of labor or energy. Now you're arbitrarily inducing uh, capital expenditures, which may or not, may not be economic, to say nothing of what might be happening in other countries like China. And now all of a sudden you get back to that trade issue, right? Which is, mm-hmm. we thought, that's why trade is so complex and you have to think about it so strategically. It's if you're going to drive up the cost in your internal producers, I worry. I know that our politicians are not doing enough to open uh, overseas markets. But even if they were to, if that price is jacked up so much, right, you're just not going to have a market to sell into. Correct. So, 
it really is um, kind of like you just see kind of like an array of short-sighted like bad ideas pointed in different directions which has to be and as I talk to farmers across the state like it is clearly frustrating um, and I know of course there's good elected officials we met with Gary Talkin who obviously his family runs a farm right. we met with them on the farm very close yep. correct yes and they get it um, but I know that there's plenty of others who need this education and that's why we appreciate you talking to us so I'm glad to glad to do my part yeah what are some of the other industry or challenges that you see going forward? Uh, things that you're concerned about or, or things that hit your radar? Well, I guess we kind of talked about the, the labor and the unknown of the markets, um, consumer confidence. I'm hitting quite a few of them. Well, as our conversation is covered on economics and trade and technology and labor and a host of, I think, the kind of things that consumers of food really need to be thinking about, what makes you hopeful about the future of the dairy industry in Wisconsin? I, I think it's a simple answer in, in that it's it's an industry that is a people industry. Yep. It's a people and environment. Uh, um, as we talked, uh, they have to take care of the, the environment and the animals that they're uh, given uh, to take care of, to, to, to help them take care of themselves. Right. So, uh, which then we can then feed the world and, and clothe the world. So, um, in the end, we've got a lot of really good people um, right. that uh, I've met over the years. Many I haven't. Right. Uh, <laughs> many, many. But uh, it's it, it's great to know. Uh, and then looking at the the future of some of those uh, FFA kids and uh, 4-H kids and the, the Fox Valley and the, the, the UW even the UW uh, Ag program kids that I've I've been running into on internships. There's just a lot of promise out there. Um, to uh, keep that cycle of good people and critical thinkers out there. Right. Yes, it all comes down to people. And again, that's why we really do appreciate you coming on the Right Idea podcast, sharing this with people across our state and frankly across our nation. We can see our, our analytics and we know that we got people downloading this in Anchorage, Alaska. So go figure. You know, who knows who's hearing us talk about it, but I know it's an important conversation. So thanks for having us to Fond du Lac, and we look forward, if you'll have us back, we look forward to coming back in the future. Yeah, let's not wait till next June Dairy Month, though. Yeah. Happy, <laughs> happy June Dairy Month, everyone. Happy Dairy Month, and thanks, Jeff. Take All care. Right. Thank you. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thanks for joining us in the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.